I saw you received the Bonang hamper. How excited were you? <laughs> you know, I was really excited. I love pink. So pink is my favorite color. So when I got the message asking, you know, for my home address and um, if I'm going to be home on a certain day, I was so excited. So yeah, I was very, very happy. I mean, everybody was screaming for it. They were like, B, give us something. I know, I know, but yeah, it's, I think she only had a, a certain number. Um, but you know, you know, I, I'm I'm just glad that I was I was one of the people that that got a hamper. Um, but because such things excite me, by the way, I I don't know, I don't think I don't think you outgrow such excitement. Well, certainly I haven't. I'm 44, and I still get excited like I'm a child when I get gifts. So um, I was really happy. Yeah, so the last time we spoke, we were to start on about you being a HIV specialist. Yeah. And I think it was in the early 1980s, around 1982, when South Africa and Lesotho as well got hit by the HIV and AIDS um, epidemic. And there has been so much stigmatization around uh, HIV and AIDS, and still is even now. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, the first thing that normally crosses people's minds is how possible is it for two individuals with opposite HIV and AIDS statuses to actually have a safe sexual experience and even perhaps have a child? Okay, that's great. So what we've now learned about HIV is that if someone is taking antiretroviral treatment and they're taking it properly and the amount of HIV in their blood, the viral load is um, undetectable, then that person can have um, condomless sexual intercourse and they won't infect their partner. So this is something that I discovered in, discovered in the sense that that information came to my knowledge in 2016 on the, on the timeline. So there's an American guy called Bruce Richman and Bruce is living with HIV and then he, he had, you know, he had been, he had heard something about U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable, but the information wasn't out there. So he did his research, he did his research, and he found out that HIV scientists had known this for some time, but the information wasn't out there. So Bruce made it his business to share this information, to share the fact that if you're HIV positive, you're in your treatment and your virus is under control, you can't infect the next person. So when I saw this on the timeline, I was like, wait a minute, this is amazing. So then I started sharing it on my timeline in South Africa. And it's taken a very long time for, 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 for people to understand it. Because remember, when HIV came, it came with a lot of stigma. So initially, it was a gay disease. And then from there, people are like saying stuff like, it's a punishment from God. So the stigma that people associate with HIV is very strong and very moralistic. And, and then, of course, we then found out that people must use condoms. And even if you're on treatment, you must use condoms because we didn't understand that you, don't, you can't infect the next person if you're on treatment. And so there was just a lot of a lot of baggage associated with HIV. So a message like you equals you, that message, I believe, is a life changer. That hashtag you equals you for me is the hashtag of, of this of this century. Because it says to a person that even though I'm HIV positive, I can still live a normal life. I can still have a relationship with someone and not infect them. 
I can still have a relationship with someone and have condomless sex and we can have children if we want to. Because we come from a past where if you were HIV positive, you were discouraged, discouraged from having children because the, 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 the understanding was that you would pass on HIV to your child. And yes, when, you know, before treatments became widespread, it, that was the case, that if you're HIV positive and you fell pregnant, you would, there was a, a very high chance of passing on the virus to your baby. So now all of that has changed. And that's why I'm so happy to, to be on my timeline, sharing information about U equals U, about the fact that people must take their treatment and they must take it properly to ensure that nobody um, gets infected with HIV. Um, speaking of which, when people are in relationships, uh, the disclosure of one's HIV and AIDS status, like, when is the right time to disclose it to a new sexual partner? Because for me, I feel like it's not really a necessity to disclose it because I feel like um, each and every single person is supposed to be responsible for their own sexual health, etc. So you should be taking care of yourself and not so put I the totally burden on the other person too. Um, I feel that um, you know one of the problems with South Africa, and I'll speak for South Africa because I work in South Africa uh, in the fields of sexual health, is that we 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 oh. are we haven't reached a stage where we are comfortable with having these discussions during the dating phase, right? I mean, I always say that when you meet a guy or a woman, right? You, you, after maybe the first date, you will know if that person wants you in a sexual way, a romantic way, or they just want you to be a friend. It's, there's never much confusion around that. So, so if you know that you are eventually going to end up sleeping with this person or, or anything, why aren't you having those conversations over coffee that, oh, by the way, um, how often do you test for HIV? When is your last STI screen? Um, do you use condoms? Do you like using condoms? Do you like oral sex? Do you like anal sex? Why aren't we having those conversations during that phase? And this is, this is what I'm hoping that over as, as, as we continue to do, to have these discussions, people will become more open about those discussions because it's important. It's important to talk about these things before they happen. It's too late to be asking those questions when you've already had sex with the person without a condom and now it's the morning after. It's too late. Right? It's too late to be asked, you know, after that. So that's why I feel a good thing. We need to get comfortable discussing isn't just their sex. I don't think we're there yet, but I think um, as time goes on. But we absolutely have to discuss sex. We have to. Yes, because I remember on my second episode, I had Sharon Gordon. Yeah. Um, she's from Dignity Dreams, South Africa. And she was like, we read sex talk as something that is a taboo, even when we're in relationships. And that should not be the case. We should be so open that mm. we know how our body responds to particular things, mm. what works for me, what does not yeah, really exactly. work for me. So I'm hoping that things will change um, and we'll have more open and honest conversations. Um, as far as HIV status goes and disclosure, I always say to my patients that, um, you know, First of all, just figure out how what the person is like. Um, so obviously, if you've already started a relationship with that person and you haven't told them, it becomes more challenging. And if you're dating someone who's violent, 
who could kill you for disclosing your status, then it's better to not disclose or leave that relationship altogether. But if you have an opportunity to disclose in the talking stages, if you can see, okay, this might become a serious relationship, then it's better to disclose upfront. And the challenge of disclosure is that you risk, you run the risk of rejection. So, um, you know, no one wants to be rejected. We all want to, we all want to, to be loved and want to be accepted as we are. So if you, if you, um, Zotin, if, if you disclose, unfortunately, the, 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 the first reaction is to, is to leave, which is unfair, which is really unfair. But that's a risk that you take again, as a disclosure. And I always say to my patients that um, if, if that person rejects you, then be happy. Be happy that they showed their true colors early on. You don't want an ignorant person in your life because it's really, it, it really speaks to the ignorance around HIV. So you don't want to be dating a mundo or ignorant who's not willing to learn something new. So you're better off without that person. Yeah, that, that's true. And actually disclosure, um, I always equate it to when a gay person is said, is told to come out. And like, there's so yeah. much at risk with a person coming out. It could lead to being disowned by family, losing yeah. out on job opportunities, um, etc. It's true. I mean, you know, in South Africa, when we think about um, our constitution, we are very, very blessed to live in a country that protects us. South Africa has got laws and guidelines that protect people living with HIV. So you can't go around disclosing people's statuses without their permission. If you do that, whether you're a doctor or whatever, you'll, you will face the consequences. But there are many, many countries that don't even consider HIV rights in, in people's lives. They don't. So there are countries where if you're found to be HIV positive, your, 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 you know, your doctor is not obliged to observe um, patient-doctor confidentiality. I know of people in other countries where the doctor will people or the nurse will tell people, oh, Ukhalefang is HIV positive. Oh, Usindi is HIV positive. You can't have anything like that. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. But unfortunately, yeah, there are countries that are like that. And so we are blessed to live in a country that protects us. Um, and, and, you know, and you can extrapolate this to, 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 to L, the LGBTQI um, community. That's an, another example I'll give because many of my patients are from that community. You know, countries where being homosexual is punishable by jail and so on. Again, it's, a, it's, a, it's your prejudice endangering someone else's life, right? So, so, so there's a lot to it. Yeah. So imagine being in a country where there are no HIV rights, and you happen to be a member of the LGBTQI plus community, what then? What, what is meant to happen to you? So we have a long way to go as human beings, a long way to go. We do. We do. Um, I now want us to talk about um, something. I, I remember when I told my friend that we were going to have this conversation, she was so excited because I told her that we're going to be talking about um, how oftentimes we see beauty brands um, produce and sell products that are supposedly good for tightening the vagina, giving it a good mm. flavored smell. And you said, this is not it. This is wrong. Why is yeah, that? So, so I think yeah, the, 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 the marketing 
around what they call intimate washes has been very strong. I have not seen anything like it. I, you know, I've, I've been watching this market grow and it initially began with one product and that product did very well. And now if you go to clicks or pick and pay or Diskim and you go to the aisle that sells those intimate washes, every brand, you know, has an intimate wash. Almost every brand has an intimate wash and there's flavors and there's smells and there's this fresh, whatever, whatever. And the truth of the matter is that um, your vagina doesn't need any of that, right? The vagina is a self-cleaning organ, like, like the ear. So what does it mean? It means that you don't have to do anything to it to make it, to, to help it clean itself. It has cleaner, right? And, 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 and all you need to do is to be able to recognize the different smells. So, so, so generally the vagina does have a smell, but it's a, it's a very neutral smell. I, I, I can't explain it. It's, it's like a musty smell and that smell is normal. If there's something wrong with your vagina, the smell changes and it becomes like the smell of ilaki star, you know, pilchards. So now everyone knows how pilchards smell. It's a strong, mm. strong smell. So when your vagina is not well, it'll start smelling like pilchards and it's such an uncomfortable smell. You will go to the doctor because you know, you've never, it's, 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 you know, you don't like the smell. And that's the nice thing about the vagina. It tells you when it's not okay. It tells you. But now along came this, these products and they really, they targeted at young women. And I know that the older women, you know, when they give sexual advice to young girls, um, tell them that they must always wash their vaginas inside. They must put this and they must put that and they must put this so that the vagina is tighter for your partner. And it's just, it's just wrong. It is wrong because using those products, um, you know, you know, may lead to you to having um, what we call bacterial vaginosis, which is when the, the bacteria in the vagina are, are depleted. The good bacteria are depleted. And now you're, you're, you know, you're prone to having this infection that we call bacterial vaginosis. And then your vagina starts smelling like pilchards. But imagine that pressure, the pressure of, of having to have this perfect vagina. Like who said, who said that we have to be like that? So I'm, I'm, I'm very outspoken about that. I'm very outspoken about those products. I, I don't mince my words about it. And the people that make those products know exactly how I feel about it. And the sad thing is, the more I speak out about it, the stronger their marketing campaigns are getting. So this, the, the specific product, that, that the, the, the major one in the, on the market, has a huge billboard on the M1. A huge billboard. It's pretty. It's pink. <laughs> it is huge. Everybody can see it because, you know, they need to make sure their sales stay up. So, um, you know, we're still there. And I just hope to one day, um, you know, the Department of Health will be able to intervene in such matters and make sure that the right thing gets done. Hi, my name is Catch Vibe and you're listening to the Unfiltered 101. Look, let's get into it, eh? Apart from circumcision being a scam and being promoted for profiting. I wish I had time to explain such, but hey, like any any other car, if if you take out um, a very useful part, the car won't function very well, or the car might not function at all. So you can't disturb nature and expect everything to be the same. It, it doesn't work like that. 
The moment you do that, then there will be consequences at some point. So like the foreskin, it does have over 20,000 nerves. You cut it out, you basically disturb the nature. So those nerves on the foreskin aren't there for decoration, but have purpose. So I, 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 I have friends while they got snipped because it was a trend many years ago. I refused because from my own research, I found more than 20 functions of a foreskin. And when I, when I asked why they did it, I was told it, it was for hygiene and for preventing some of the sexual infections. But according to me, hygiene basically means taking a bath every day, right? And if you talk about prevention, basically prevention of sexual infections is abstaining and using condoms, right? I think these ones really, I'm not saying they're 100%, but I'm just saying this is the message that we need to send to other people. Now, I remember women do go through the same with their vaginal discharges and it's called cleansing. It's natural. Do they cut themselves out? No. Why should they have opinions over a foreskin? <laughs> I don't know. So if you ask most men, they will tell you. Women somehow pressurize them to do it. Our society, culture, have somehow, for me, I felt like, you know, they misguided me. You are only recognized as a real man when you're circumcised. Um, so you're basically saying to us, rapists, murderers, abusers, you know, are only intact. Because the same circumcised men, um, according to the society, they are real men. They are there on the list I just mentioned. Now, you cut a six-month-old boy and you call him a real man. Or, as they say, for prevention of sexual infections. But a six-month-old boy, <laughs> come on... So in conclusion, my sex life has been completely natural and all my sensitivity are still intact. And I think, not actually I think, I know I will let my future sons to grow with it and decide for themselves. Thank you. Yeah, and you spoke about the pressure that gets put on the young girls to have this good smelling and tight vaginas. And I think that would also move to how when someone is yeah. not circumcised, they are so stigmatized. Like, I will never give a blowjob to an uncircumcised guy. He has, he has cheese on his foreskin, etc., and I remember you were very vocal yeah. about circumcision. And later on, 
And later on, you changed your thoughts about it and you were like, the MMC is not really what yep. was sold to us. So, so yeah, so in 2015 and 2016, I went for VMCC, VMMCC training, VMMC training, and I did a lot of circumcisions. And at the time, um, you know, we were acting on the results of a study that had said that circumcised men have a reduced risk of HIV infection and um, the, you know, the recommendation was that to reduce the, the number of HIV infections, we'd have to start circumcising men. So I, I was part of that program and I started circumcising guys. So the challenge then comes when after circumcision, the guy comes back and he's saying that he's lost sensation, decreased sexual satisfaction. Some guys got, some guys had complications, you know, I know in other areas, some men had to have, um, you know, penectomies, their penises had to be amputated because of the post-circumcision um, infections. And I remember just saying to the guys, no, man, don't be silly. After six weeks, you'll be fine. I don't have a penis, right? So I didn't understand the Wuti. Actually, for some of those men, the removing of the foreskin really did reduce their sexual enjoyment. It really did. So this carries on 2015, 2016, 2017, I'm still doing circumcisions. And then I had a, a long discussion with a friend of mine. He's an epidemiologist. His name is Dr. Gunyai Masukume, one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life. And looked at the research. Uh -huh. He had studied all the papers around circumcision because he's an epidemiologist. And it wasn't adding up, Lalefang. The, the thing that they had claimed that VMMC would do was not adding up. So Gunya and I had a, a discussion, ongoing discussion, lengthy discussion. And I woke up one day and I realized that, oh my goodness, this is not what they said it is. So from then onwards, right, I was then able to, to, to work it out in my head and accept that I'd, I'd made a mistake and these things happen. I can't sew back those foreskins. But what I will do is make sure that you know, a man that's considering circumcision, which is not for religious reasons, which is not for medical reasons, because there are medical reasons to get circumcised, and which is not for cultural reasons, I will make sure that those men don't do it. And that's really what I've done. And this is why I've been outspoken about um, my decision around unlearning EVMMC. That's the way I'll put it. And I'm glad that whenever I tweet about it, those tweets gain traction. Because um, I, I feel that if a person is circumcised as a child, because they haven't had sex, the only sex they'll ever know is sex without a foreskin. But for men who've already started being sexually active and have had sex with a foreskin and then, some, and then remove their small foreskins, some of them really don't recover from the difference. So, yeah. But Samba's fundang it. You know, that's what life is about. You, you learn things and you unlearn things, right? Just because something is in a paper of research doesn't mean it's the law. It doesn't mean it's, it's written in stone. So that's, that's me. I'm learning, I'm unlearning, and I'm no longer afraid to speak up when um, I don't agree with something. I think in the past, when I was still an employee of a certain organization, I was afraid of speaking up about stuff. But now that I'm self-employed um, and I can speak my mind, I speak my mind. All right. And um, I, I think 
one thing that I want to understand. So is the person who is circumcised and oh, is the person who is circumcised more prone to infections than the one who is uncircumcised no, then? That's not true. So the whole thing around, around um, you know, penis hygiene is if you have a foreskin, you need to roll it back when you wash, just roll it back and wash your penis head with warm water. Also, that so-called cheese around around the, the, the glance, that's called smegma. And it's, it's the smegma is important to keep the penis head, you know, to keep the penis head healthy. So this whole thing of ugnyanya that, that women do, I'm not really sure where all of that came from. And yes, there's some guys who produce a lot of smegma. There's some guys that don't produce a lot of it, but penis hygiene is, is very simple. Roll back your foreskin if you have a foreskin, wash the head of your penis with warm water and you should be fine. Um, so we need to also, as women, I guess, educate ourselves about the penis and the hygiene that comes along with it. And, and also, when, you, when, you're, when you're circumcised, when you're not circumcised, when your penis is erect, you actually can't tell the, much of a difference between a circumcised penis and an uncircumcised one, right? So I've seen both, and you can't, you can't really tell yeah. the difference. So it's going to take time for, for, for us to unlearn our, our toxic towards uncircumcised penises and um, I'll never not speak up about it when it comes up on the timeline. All right. And um, Yoni Stimming, I have recently about, I heard about it and uh, the use of herbs, etc. And apparently it helps with dealing with the period pains, etc. So, so do you know anything about it? Called, um, Stewart. Um, I think you must do a podcast with her. Uthali um, um, has tried Yoni steaming and, um, you know, she says it works for her. I haven't tried it yet, right? Formulate a response around it. Um, so I haven't had a chance to. I was, I was trying to make sure I get the right type of basin and I get the right herbs, whatever it is that they, that they put inside, inside um, the, 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 the water. Okay, and I remember you said um, if period pains uh, would exceed a certain number of days, I'm not sure if it was three or yeah. four, three, four, five, somewhere there, one should consult a doctor because it might happen they have fibroids and other yeah. uh, uterus um, illnesses. So fibroids, what age do they actually start at? Because I think some people even in... 13, 14 years when they have period pains, they can even go for like a, a week or so. Yeah. But so, they so, they're not sure what to do. So I won't, so I think, so I'm not going to speak directly towards to, about fibroids or endometriosis or any of those conditions. I think, I think it would be great for you to have a, a discussion with a, a short discussion with a gynecologist around that. But I think one of the points I was trying to make about period pain was that um, we, are, we, are, we have been socialized to think it's okay to have period pain every month. And actually it's not, right? Because there's medication that can sort it out. And if it doesn't get better, then that means there must, be, there must be a further investigation. So some people may have endometriosis, which results in painful periods. Some people may have fibroids, which results in painful periods and also excessive bleeding. So, so I think the message that I need to put out there is that painful or heavy or painful and heavy periods is not normal. If, you're, if you are living like that, you need to have it checked out. 
you need to have it checked out. And if there's nothing wrong, then at least get, get medication, which, which will help you not to suffer every month. Because periods are, painful periods are debilitating. I lived like that for a very long time and I only got relief when I started working and I, and I learned about drugs, a certain drug that, that not only shortens your period, it makes it lighter and it takes away period pain. Imagine from the age of 13 until I turned 30, every month without fail, I'd be sick, having diarrhea, vomiting, bleeding, spotting, blotting. It was a mess. And had I known about all these other things in Sasimani, I'd have had a very good life. You know, so I don't want anyone else to to suffer the way I suffered for so long before I finally got the help that I that I needed. Yes, and mm. listen to the things that you are mentioning: uh, diarrhea, bloating, etc., vomiting. I remember mm. my sister used to have the same. That was before she had a child, and my grandmother would be like. You see this thing of yours of no, lending your clothes to your friends. This is what makes this happen. So and I'm fine. like, I'm saying, yeah, there are all these, there are all these myths and and stuff. It's, yes. it's so it's so crazy. Wow, and I'm like, okay, all right. And uh, to wrap things up, I think you're one of the few medical practitioners that openly talk about incorporating traditional medicine in the Western so, field. So, I think for so me, how do you strike the balance between the two? Is that we need, we need people to, I, okay, I don't want a situation where my, my patient is not able to be open, right, about a certain thing that they have or a certain thing that they've done because of the way I feel about, about um, you know, traditional medicine, right? So I never, ever, ever want a patient to hold information from me, which will help me help them better. So if you, if you, if you say, for example, you, you put up, I'm not opposed to that. But when we're having a consultation and I now want to give you Western medicine or Western whatever, I need to know that you're taking umklonyane so that I don't give you something which may have drug, drug interactions with umklonyane. And this is why... And this is, I think this is the main problem is that we have been polarized. So Western medicine, you know, not accept traditional medicine and, and then we make it more difficult for people to be open and honest. When you, when you see a medical doctor, right, you have to be open and honest about everything. You have to be, because, because that helps me make a better um, yeah, diagnosis. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, it, it does make sense because um, I remember you find that when you are going to see your patient as a visitor at a hospital, if mm. you bring them any traditional help, etc., yeah. The doctors so would the wrong. doctors would be so wrong. mad at and you. I used, and I used to see all of that, and I think it's wrong because. Um, you know, we need to accommodate our culture. We don't work in a vacuum. We work in a in a in a in a, in a culture with other um, with other um, you know um, forms of healing. So when I when when people act like that, it it really doesn't make me happy. Yeah, um, when we started the conversation the past yeah. week, uh, we spoke about our mothers, right? And post that conversation, 
I actually spoke with my siblings and I was like, hey guys. So I had a conversation with Dr. Cindy and this is what came up in the conversation. How do you feel that about us having a Zoom meeting perhaps? And we actually talk about all of these things because I feel like in as much as you are older and you feel like you have dealt with the passing of Umama, we really haven't actually spoken about it. I feel like everyone was on, a, on an individual healing journey and how about we actually get to talk about it? And they liked the idea. And thank no, you that's for awesome. you know, I'm so happy igniting to hear that. that thought. That is awesome. I, I was, no, I was so really, really excited about it. And you know, I'm looking you know so much is, forward to I, it. I think, I think if anything, right, um, COVID-19 and lockdown has made me realize that life is short. And if there's... Yo, if, like, I'm telling you Natalie Fang, Very. if I was to die today, ne, I have made peace with every single person I wronged. Everyone that needs to know that I love them knows that I love them. You know, except for the people who I owe money. I owe the bank money. So that's the only, that's the only thing in my life. I owe the bank money and I owe two people <laughs> money. Once, once by December, I'll have paid back those people and then it bankings will get next year. But apart from that, I have made peace. I have tied all loose ends. So, so when I die, right, no one is going to say, I angry because I didn't do this or whatever. I have done everything. So I think, you know, in closing, I think this is really what I want to encourage your listeners. Uguti, Lungisani is in Dozenu, guys. Just fix everything. COVID-19 has taken away everything that we thought we needed in life. And now we are exposed and now we must fix our lives. There's no church. There was no Easter. There probably won't be a Christmas. All the things that we used to hang on to, all the things that we used to hold on to, like a simple thing like hugging, Tlalefang. Hugging has been taken away from us. We don't hug people anymore, right? You could go to the shops and, and, and eat at a restaurant whenever yeah, you want we don't. it. That's been taken away from us. I think Unkulunkulu is allowing certain things to happen just to, like he wants to shake us up and, and, and help us recenter ourselves. Certainly for me, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but for me, COVID-19 has changed me a lot. I hate lockdown. I'm not going to lie to you. But you know who loves lockdown? My kids and my husband. I'm a social butterfly. I'm almost always out and about doing something. My husband and I have been married for 16 years. Ne? It's our 16-year anniversary. <laughs> I've never seen him so happy in the 16 years we've been married. I've never seen him so happy. He wakes up in the morning, I'm there. In the afternoon, I'm there. Dambama, I'm there. Like, like, I can't explain it, guys. You have to see it. He's so happy. <laughs> you know, my son, my son will come into my room and jump on me and say, so, mom, you're not going anywhere today. <laughs> and you can see, Wuti, he's so happy that I'm not going anywhere because, you know, I'm at home. So, so we need to start finding the blessing in lockdown. We need to start fixing ourselves. And hopefully they will come out of this better people. Yes, and speaking of you being a social butterfly, I was going to oh, ask you, how are you coping without going to China Fontaine? <laughs> I am <laughs> not coping. 
I'm not. And and I, I and I was saying to myself, I was, I was saying to myself, and I actually told my husband this. I said to my I said to Amani, when Tony Fontaine eventually opens, right? I will leave here at 10 o'clock in the morning. So that at 12, when they open that gate, those dead gates, I'm the first person there. I will come home at midnight. So when the music stops, I'm the last person to leave. And he just laughed at me. I'm like, you don't understand. Like, yeah, anyway, I can't wait. Shame. They know, the Tony Fontaine guys know how much I miss them, yes? They know. And I told them, I'm going to finish my DJing lessons so that next year, yeah. when Tony Fontaine comes back, I'll be one of the DJs on the lineup. So that's my dream. That's my that's my aim, Oguti. I must just, once level two, once we get to level two, I resume my DJ lessons with Chima music, and then you go there. And then start practicing so that my first gig, my first, first gig is going to be at Swanee Fontaine. Yes. And speaking of following your dreams, I remember how you yeah. how excited you were when you joined Kaya FM, because that has been one of the dreams that you had. And now you're pursuing uh, oh, DJing amazing. as well. Kaya how has the experience been at Kaya? And a few months now, it's still going strong. Every day I'm learning. Every day I am learning. And um, it's exciting because you know, I've always loved radio. So now to be able to, 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 to mix medicine and sharing information with radio, it's, just a, it's, it's a blessing and a half. I think Nkulu sent Kaya FM into my life because he knew that I needed, I needed something to, to live for, you know? I needed something to 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 always wake up in the morning and look forward to, you know. So that's what Kai has done for me, and I'm still I'm still learning a lot because you know I'm not a broadcaster, I'm a baby broadcaster. But the team is amazing. The team is fantastic. They they teach me so much. I learn quickly, you know. I I make sure that I I practice and all of those things. Like whenever they correct me, I make sure I go back and I listen to what the correction was, and I make sure that when I come back, I I um. I do better. So it's, it's lovely. I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it. It's a dream come true. I pinch myself every time I get there. Every time I get to Kaya or every time, well, before, before lockdown, I'd stand in front in the, in the lift and I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, every time. There's never been a day. Yeah, exactly. There's never and been a day the, and when I get the there and I'm like, oh, <laughs> no. Because what were the chances, Lalefang? What were the chances of Guti I'd end up on radio? Yo, I'm so happy. And and I think it's such a great combination because um you are you already have Twitter as a platform to share your expertise. Exactly. But not everybody is actually on Twitter. But now that you're on but now that you're on radio. It, it has a broader reach exactly. and that serves its purpose. Amazing. God is amazing. So I am so happy. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Doctor, for having had this conversation with me. I can really not thank you enough. And I'm so, so excited because when thank the episode so much, is Alifang, out, and, I um, think everybody's going to love it. I didn't know that we had um, an app like Anchor. So you know, every day, every day I learn something new. So I'm blessed to have spoken to you. You've taught me something new. And I also can't wait for the episode to come out. All right. Uh, as I end up this conversation, 
because of the conversation we had about our mothers, I thought it would be fitting that I play, um, I Remember Mama by Shelly Caesar. Uh, Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah. 